0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. This morning, I'm going to be teaching in memory of my uncle. Some of you have heard me speak about my uncle uh, in the context of Yisker sermons. This is not meant to be a, a sad teaching, but eight years ago yesterday, my uncle died of pancreatic cancer and I was very close with him. And I thought, I was telling Cheryl earlier this morning, I thought that it would be nice to teach something in his memory in a way that's not just sad, but in a way that actually reflects on my relationship with him, um, and is not, is not focused on the death piece, but is actually focused on the life piece that I have had uh, after his passing. So before I pass out these source sheets, I want to just take a second to reflect on something that I think we've probably all experienced after someone has been gone for a while. One of the things that I wrestle with every year around this time is the fact that when you get further away from that first moment when the person passes away, you're worried, do I still remember their voice? Do I still remember the jokes they used to make? Do I still remember the nicknames they used to call me? Do I still remember all of the stories that, when we were first sharing them at Shiva, were so clear in our minds? And I was driving to Laguna a few days ago, and this song that was written by Adele uh, came on the, maybe it was the radio, my iPhone, I don't really remember, to be honest. But it's the song, Make You Feel My Love. And when I pass this out, it'll be at the, at the back of your source sheet. And the words, I could sing them. It goes like this. When the rain is blowing in your face And the whole world is on your case I could offer you a warm embrace To make you feel my love And it keeps going. That's the first... Oh, thank you. That was... I have a a groupie. Um, That's the first verse. But one of the things that struck me was the fact that this is a song about a person she is in love with, but when we are going through moments of grief or years of grief, this is actually part of the challenge. How do we make a person still feel our love after they are gone? And on the flip side, how do we continue to feel their love after they are no longer with us? So we're going to look at the two deaths that I mentioned at the beginning of, um, of the Torah service today. We're going to look at the deaths of Miriam and Aaron, and we're not going to focus on their deaths, but we're going to focus on Moshe's steps of grief around their death. So I'm going to pass around these sore sheets. My clergy partners are going to pass around these sore sheets. And I think there's enough. There's at least enough for every family. <clears throat> So first, I just want to mention what these steps of grief are. I did not make them up. These are the steps of grief that over time we've come to understand. And I don't believe that they have to go in a certain order. The last one, acceptance, I believe has to be the final stage of grief. But the others do not have to go in the order that I listed them. They're just the order that might be, quote, most common. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And over the course of this teaching, we're not going to get to every source on these sheets, but I believe that Moshe, in the three different instances that we're going to look at, Moshe goes through these stages of grief, and we've just never really focused on the fact that potentially his behavior is reflecting those stages of grief. So here's the first. If you've never been to Beitenu before, I am going to stop and ask people to share thoughts and questions and comments. So um, feel free to not just keep those in your head, but when I pause, feel free to raise your hand and I will call on you. So the first text here comes from Numbers 20, verse 1. So Bamidbar, it says, the Israelites arrived in a body at the wilderness of Tzin on the first new moon and the people stayed at Kadesh. So I was just telling you where they're at. Miriam died there and was buried there. V'tamot sham Miriam v'tikaver sham. What do you notice in that piece of the verse? It says the word, the word sham twice. Okay, we're going to look at that in a second. V'lo la'eda v'kahelu al-Moshe v'al-Aharon. What do you notice about that verse? I also bolded some stuff, so I'm giving you clues. Great. So what Joey just said is that the word al might mean that they ganged up on, or they were on top of Moshe and Aaron. So if we're looking at this from a framework of stages of grief, Miriam just died. Miriam is Moshe's sister. What potentially, and in this case, Aaron is actually still alive. So in this case, what, are, what could be a stage that Moshe and Aaron are going through right now in this moment of grief for Miriam? Yeah, Brent. Ignoring all other things. They are, you think? Okay, great. So just in, in the moment of her grief, they're ignoring everything else around them. Other thoughts? Yeah, Seema. Great, depending on the community. So I think that's actually a very nice read. Um, depending on the community, seeing the al as dependent, when I read it, I saw that as kind of overwhelm, actually, that the, it felt as if the community was closing in on them in this moment of grief for their sister, that they were literally on top of them. But I like Seema's read that is a little bit more positive and thinking of how you could gain that support from the community. Anything else you notice from this verse about Moshe and Aaron's grief here? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, great. So instead of support from the community, if we're not reading it in the positive way that Seema just read it, we are seeing it as potentially an attack from the community or to take it maybe one step in the, in the more central direction of those two comments, maybe they are just unaware that Moshe and Aaron are feeling such grief and therefore they're just kind of moving on with their lives, right? The community is like, okay, let's, let's go to the next thing. Right? We're on to the next moment in our, in our journey here. Yeah, Deb? Great. Beautiful. So Deb just said two things. One, we don't actually know who buried her. Um, if you're interested in a response to that question, I actually taught on that last week at Sue Dashley Sheets, so you can, you can listen to that. Um, but we don't know who buried her. It just says that she was buried we don't know if it was the community. We don't know if it was her siblings. We just know that she was buried. And the second thing that Deb said was that there's quiet, there's silence. We don't actually know what Motion Aaron say or do as a response, whether to the community or just in their own in their own moments of grief. So when I put the when I was thinking through these stages of grief and which one this one this could potentially be, I thought of this as denial. Right. They're they're kind of accepting the fact that the community is ready to move them along. Moshe and Aaron don't say anything, at least that we see recorded. You obviously could push back on me and say, of course, they said something. It's just not written in the Torah. You might be right. I might be right. Who knows? But the idea here that I'm that I came to is that they're processing they're still processing this death. It comes out of nowhere. If you look in the Tanakh, maybe I should have given you this as context. If you look in the Tanakh and you read before this verse and you read right after this verse, it's as if someone just remembered as they were putting this into the Torah, oh yeah, and by the way, Miriam died, let's make sure that goes in. There's no lead up to it and there's no coming down from it. It's just there. Yeah, Sima. Great, great. Seema just moved us to the next uh, source that we're going to look at. So she pointed out that there's a little bit of a non sequ- sequitur in saying that there was no water once Miriam died. There was the, the community went without water. There's a midrash that says that Miriam was kind of the the um, provider of water. And then once she was gone, so too was the water. So let's look at that Orachaim piece here. It says there. I gave you two Orachaim pieces. It's the second of those. So, um, uh, no, it's not, hold on. Okay, we're gonna get to that piece in a second. Sorry, Seema, let me, let me do these in a moment and then I'll come back to Seema's, um, comment. So first here, we see this idea of sham, right? In the, in the text that I just pointed out that I thought was gonna respond to Seema, but (laughs) we'll get to the next text that will in the orachaim we mention he mentions here why are we asking sham right someone someone said like that it seems bizarre that we say sham twice and it's interesting that the orachaim picks up on the fact that it's only that she is dead in that location right rabbi Klickfeld and i did a did an unveiling this past sunday and one of the things that he mentioned as we were unveiling the stone was the fact that you're about to see this person's name in the ground. This is their forever real estate, so to speak. And yet, the person still lives amongst us forever, right? There is there is a locale to where the person was buried, in this case, Miriam. And yet, we are supposed to go on living, imagining and feeling as if the person was with us always. This is going to go into the the point that Seema just made about the well. So in Tanit, in the Gemara, it says, the Gemara raises an objection. Rabbi Yosti, son of Rabbi Yehuda, says, three good sustainers rose up for the Jewish people during the exodus from Egypt, and they are Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. So the, the Gemara is basically saying, we have three main characters during the exodus, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. And you know, for any of us who have studied Exodus, you, you already know that, but they're making it clear in the Gemara. And three good gifts were given from heaven through their agency, meaning God provided them with something based on um, their, their, the importance that they had in our moments of Exodus. The well of water, the pillar of cloud, and the manna. The well was given to the Jewish people in the merit of Miriam. The pillar of cloud was in the merit of Aaron and the manna in the merit of Moses, when Miriam died, the well disappeared, as it is stated, and Miriam died there. And the next piece of Gemara actually goes on to say, but the well reappears to make sure that Moshe and Aaron have water until Aaron then dies. So it is interesting that in the moment of Miriam's death, we recognize that the water has gone away. I think that again speaks to this denial piece, Right. That the, the the people have to just move on now to find the next thing. And Moshe and Aaron are still trying to process, OK, but how are we going to take care of ourselves in this moment of also taking care of the people? So here's the next part of our Torah that we're going to look at. There are going to be three pieces and this is the next. This is the next piece. Um, so, Vayava Moshe ve'aharom mipnei el-petach ohel moed. So Moshe and Aaron actually went away from the congregation. They needed some space. They needed to take some time. And they went to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the presence of God appeared to them. So in this moment, what, what next stage of grief does it seem as though Moshe and Aaron are now entering into? Yeah, Mike, bargaining, exactly, right? Moshe and Aaron are now, this is only five verses later, but Moshe and Aaron are realizing this is something that has happened. We're sad that it has happened. And now we're wondering, how did this happen? And bargaining with God, either to reverse it, which we know is not possible with death, or to just try to understand it. Part of the reason that I brought these as texts to discuss, uh, to, to share in memory of my uncle is because for those of you who have unfortunately dealt with someone who has passed away from cancer, especially a cancer like pancreatic cancer that can go quite quickly, it's hard to understand what is going on and then at the end it's just quick. It just happens. And my uncle was a cancer researcher. And so it was that much harder for us to wonder the big theological question of God, why are you making this happen to a person who spent his life trying to understand how people could live with cancer? Why is he now dying from a disease that he was trying to, quote, fix? Right, so you have these moments with God where you sit and you enter into your tent of meeting and you think to yourself, why is this happening? And they fall on their faces because that is a way of us understanding in the Torah that they were praying to God. But I actually think they were really bargaining with God. They were really taking a moment to say, I don't understand this. This is so sad for us, we can't wrap our heads around it. And so they needed that presence of God. When we get to the next piece, however, go to where it says we're going to skip the Otsar Midrashim just for time's sake. You're more than welcome to to read it on your own. Seema, you'll like that Otsar Midrashim piece if you would like to read it. So what we get here, the next verse, I think, maybe two later. No, the next verse. So they approach God in the tent of meeting. And this is the next verse. God speaks to Moshe and he says, you and your brother Aaron take the rod and assemble the community and before their very eyes speak to the rock to yield its water. Thus you shall produce water for them from the rock and provide drink for the congregation and their beasts. Okay. What message is God missing here? What is, I know it's very hard to say that God did something wrong, but what is God lacking in this moment? Yeah, Mike. Great. Great any evidence that God realizes that they might have come to God for support because they're in a moment of grief because they want to understand something and they happen to have that kind of relationship with God we might not feel like we have that kind of relationship with God anymore but in the time of and Aaron they really did they could have asked God a question and God potentially could have answered it Larry were you going to say something different yeah lacking compassion here yes Rabbi Torney. Yossi also has a thought. Hmm. Mm. beautiful. right, right. Yeah. interesting. So what Rabbi Chorney, not not the cantor Rabbi Chorney, but the other Rabbi Chorney said um, was that. This is really reminding us that God is the ultimate leader in this story, not the people. And for all of us, even when we are dealing with this kind of grief in our own lives, to recognize that sometimes we need to go to do that next step, right? What Rabbi Chorney said was that instead of God giving that compassion, giving that support in the moment, being able to say, okay, we are here, you had time, potentially time that we just don't know about, and now you have to take care of the people because that's your job. Your job is to take care of the people. It might be hard to hear. It might be hard to do, but it is a reminder that that is what Moshe and Aaron had to do. So based off of what Rabbi Charney said, the next piece that comes, which you all know very well, Moses raises his hand and he strikes the rock twice with his rod out comes copious water and the community and their beasts drink. So, What happens? Moshe and Aaron go to God, potentially seeking compassion and advice and answers to questions. God tells them to do something to take care of the people, potentially rightfully so. Moshe is what in his stage of grief now? Angry, and so he hits the rock. I wrote in the table for five uh, for the Jewish Journal earlier this week, about this, oh, thank you about this this verse, about the hitting of the rock. And one of the things that I mentioned is this isn't the first time that Moshe hits something, but it is the first time that he's given a punishment. Which is really interesting because if we read this as a stage of Moshe's grief, this should be the last moment that Moshe is given a punishment. He should be able to act out in a way that he needs to just express and feel and show. That, what he is going through in, uh, in grieving his sister. Any thoughts on this before we go to the next one? I know I'm going through this a little bit quickly. I just want to make sure that we have time to get through all four. Yeah, Brant. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 hmm 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 Interesting. So what Brant said, I'm going to just summarize it, is that we're just going to let them be. They're just going to fall down. It's okay. Um, is that it's hard as a leader to, to deal with grief. I would expand that to be emotions in general, right? When you have to, for Moshe and Aaron, be able to put aside the time you might need, the feelings you might be feeling to make sure that your people end up with water and food and continuing on on their journey. And what Brand said is that we see this in all types of leadership, right? We see that leaders have a harder time being able to express that, that grief or go through those stages because there's something else that needs to be done. They need to move on to the next thing. Yeah, Larry. So so Larry just shared a poignant and timely story that his brother is the executive director of the North Shore Congregation um, in Chicago, and that he was grieving a staff member who was killed in uh, the parade on July 4th and yet had to move on to make sure that the community was taken care of and made sure that there were resources to go out to the other community members who potentially were dealing with their own grief or their own loss or at least their own trauma for sure. Um, and that he didn't get that, those moments of closure, those moments of support that potentially he, he deserved and definitely needed. Yeah, Deb. Mm. <laughs> yeah let's be nice. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Mm, Interesting. So Deb's pointing out that this partnership might not be equal uh, in in emotional intelligence, um, that God is being harder on Moshe right now than Moshe is on God in moments where God is very willing to kind of do away. The example that Deb gave was do away with a people. And Moshe says, wait a second, let's have compassion. Let's try to figure this out and yet God doesn't seem to be reaching out God's hand in that same way to Moshe. Flip the page. I want to look at this last piece of Torah text. So this is the moment that Aaron dies, and I want you to think about how this... As I said before, the Torah service is in the same chapter. We're still in Bamidbar 20, right? We're still in Numbers 20, which is a very short period of time for us to be learning about Miriam's death and now Aaron's death. But I want you to think about how, even if chapters don't mean anything in terms of timeline for the actual story, how does Moshe's moment here of, of grief shift Potentially dramatically, but definitely more intensely now that both of his siblings have died. Take Aaron and his son, Elazar and bring them up on Mount Hor. Strip Aaron and his, of his vestments and put them on his son, Elazar. Okay, so we're basically saying... The next, the next person is going to take leadership, it's going to be your son, so give him all the things that he needs to be the leader, such that when you pass away, Elazar is, is now uh, in charge, and it's clear that he's in charge because he's wearing all of the leadership garb. There Aaron shall be gathered onto the dead. Moshe did as God had commanded, they ascended Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses stripped Aaron of his vestments and put them on his son Elazar and Aaron died there. On the summit of the mountain, when Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, the whole community knew that Aaron had breathed his last. All the house of Israel bewailed Aaron 30 days. Yeah, Cindy. Mm. So Cindy's bringing up the fact that in terms of Aaron's death, it says that they that they cried for him for 30 days. And yet for Miriam's death, we don't hear of anything other than the fact that she died and then the people were without water. So Cindy was bringing up is this could it be a gender differentiation? There's actually a lot written on this um from our mafarshi from our commentators and in our texts in terms of we just i mean they're i guess I, I guess you could say they're making excuses for that for that um uh, dissonance, but just that there were practices that went into place for Miriam's death. we just don't have them in the Torah so yes, probably, and at least it's kind of smoothed over a little bit by our commentators. Yes, Rabbi Kligfeld. Can you just do this? It's much easier. I should say to Cindy, that some of the medieval commentators are sensitive to that very point and say that the absence of water right after Miriam's death was not only because Miriam represented the water, but as a punishment to the Israelites for not grieving her properly. That's, that's, so they're, I'm not sure they're, they're only sensitive about it on a gender level, but they're definitely sensitive to the fact that that one patriarch got mourned, another did not. And that's not the way to handle any death. Other comments, thoughts on this particular piece? Where, where where's Moshe at in these stages of grief, do you think at this point? Seema? Hmm. Emote. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So maybe he's just numb now to the fact that he just lost a sister and now he's just losing a brother and he's just going through the motions. He's just kind of allowing it all to happen around him. To me, I I looked at it similarly, but also because of the bewailing piece, right? Because of this moment of at least recognizing the fact that there was some kind of mourning practice. I saw this as the stage of depression, right? The Moshe is just kind of allowing it to happen and washing over him. And yet it's very sad, right? So even even if we don't hear of Moshe crying, we do hear of all of the people crying, and we assume that Moshe is one of those people, right? We assume that that he that he's not standing there um, feeling any differently than the rest of the community. yeah, Mike. great yeah, so so Mike's saying that that there's this moment also of he's not going to Moshe is not going to enter into the land and so there's this again a little bit of a numbness a depression around his siblings leaving his side kind of coming to this point of recognition that he's not going to be going into land whether himself or his or his family rabbi trony yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah Mm. right Interesting. So Rabbi Choni is mentioning that we really notice in their deaths how much the people needed Miriam and Aaron. And yet as a sibling, you don't need your siblings, but you gain life from them. You gain joy from them. You gain annoyance from them. You learn how to deal with people from them, right? You They are, they are your closest friends. They are your closest companions. And so Moshe is noticing here, the people really needed them, but also I really needed them, and I am really sad and and depressed over the fact that they are now gone. I want to close this teaching, though I, I hope that it was interesting enough that you'll continue to read some of these sources we didn't get to, but I want to say there's one step of grief that we didn't get to, and that was acceptance. And I... I'm not sure that Moshe actually ever does really get to that moment of acceptance. I don't know that you, that you can um, when, you, when you have lost siblings in this way. And I don't know that you don't just go through the other stages of grief over and over and over and over again to a point where that acceptance then just kind of is inevitable as opposed to matter of fact. But I do wonder if the acceptance is when Moshe himself is on his deathbed, death rock, so to speak, before he can go into the land, right? He knows he's not gonna go into the land. So there is this moment of, okay, that must mean that I'm going to die before I go into the land. But potentially that's acceptance based off of what these last two comments were, that if my siblings can't go, And if I'm not gonna go, well then I guess now I've accepted the fact that my family, my siblings are no longer around, and this is the end of the road for me. The people need to learn how to move on without them and therefore also need to learn to move on without me. So I I hope for all of us that as we navigate through moments of grief in our own lives, that we come back to this idea that Adele put in my head that we spend our days and our years and our weeks and our months thinking about how we can continue to bring those we love back into our consciousness and make them still feel all of that love and hear all of those memories and understand that we keep them with us while we walk around in the world, but that we also take moments, my dad talks about saying Kaddish for his mother, that saying Kaddish was a moment for him to really conjure up her face, and to be able to sit with her in saying Kaddish. So whether it's Kaddish or another moment, I hope that when we think about making someone feel our love and going through these stages of grief for a lifetime, that we can take moments to think about how we make the person who has gone still feel our presence, but that also we are consciously putting them back into our lives so that we can continue to feel their love.